0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Uncensored CMO and I've got a real treat for you in this episode. I'm joined by none other than Dolvet Quince, who is trainer to the stars in Hollywood. He is the coach and mentor on The Biggest Loser And also the author of a New York Times bestseller on fitness, as well of course as fitting in his own training and fitness business. Now Dolvet is just one of those absolutely amazing individuals. Obviously, not only is he got, you know, if you've met him, wonderful, chiseled good looks and a winning smile, but actually what attracted me to Dolvet was his mindset and how he's harnessed the power of mindset to become successful and to help other people become successful as well. You'll notice in this interview with Dolvet he didn't have the best of starts in life and he's had a, a, a a number of challenges along his way. And it's amazing to see how he's come through that and also how he's remained humble and very, very generous as well as he's become successful. This is a really powerful interview and uh, one that is just full of real nuggets and insights. And it doesn't matter if you work in advertising, marketing, you run your own business, it doesn't really matter what kind of job you do. What Dolvit brings is a real understanding of the human being and what motivates us and what we need to do to transform ourselves. As he would say, one rep at a time. So listen, without further ado, let's get into it and uh, let's meet Dolvet Quince. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. And and listen, if I may, can we start at the beginning? Because I've heard you talk a few times and I'm fascinated by your story. And uh, I'd love you to tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today but particularly a bit of insight into sort of your family background and how it all started for you in life and uh, maybe how that's shaped some of your thinking today if that's okay. I've
1: told this story a few times but I think today's perspective is it's a gift and a curse and I think there's so many people that can relate to that meaning that it's something good but also something bad but it shapes who informs you through experiences and I'm adopted I have two brothers and one sister who were adopted by a Jamaican couple in Connecticut, born in Stanford, raised in Bridgeport. And fortunately for us, we were separated for a short time, but fortunately for us, we were able to find two people that were foster care caregivers and had a series of children in their home. And they wanted to take the four of us in, which they did. I walked into a home with probably 15, 14, 15 kids. And every week, wow. kids, I remember crying every morning, saying to my sister, we're going to leave again. I'm going to be separated from you. Through faith, we ended up staying with them for about six months. After that six-month period, maybe about eight months total, they came to us and said, hey, we want to adopt the four of you, keep you together as a family. They, they should have said, well, here's a billion dollars. Because there was, <laughs> there was nothing bigger at the moment than staying yeah. with my family and being going from living in the projects to living in a home in Connecticut. Unfortunately though, they were very strict, overly strict, both physically and mentally. I remember my father telling me things like, you'll never amount to anything. You're not oh. going to be anybody. I remember being hit so hard his handprint was on my face for a day at least. You get a whelp on your hand, that sort of a thing was there. Mm. Um, and I can tell you thousands of stories like that, but it's the good and the bad because where they fell short, we were fortunately in a community of people that were, that were raising them as well as raising us. You can't do that to the kids. You should talk to them more. You should really lean into learning with them. And so where they came from a very old school, spare the rod and spoil the child mentality, they were now in a more modernized, modern community where there's a better way to go about raising these four children. I remember early on speaking out and saying, This is wrong. You shouldn't do this to me. I remember getting hit for saying that of the four Yay. of us. My father called me the inquisitive one. Um, I'll never <laughs> forget that, word, that word. But I think when I did that, it gave me strength. It gave me strength to fight my oppressor, to not believe the things that was being said to me to overcome my doubts and my fears and the penetrating thoughts that were, I wouldn't be good enough. I'm not good enough. Those things can scar a young mind, especially when you're growing and learning and you're in an awkward stage in life. I found my strength by hugging my father and I was deathly afraid of him and hugging my mom and empowering them to say, you know what, you don't, this isn't your fault. I love you anyway. Bye. I love you, and I would say things on purpose that I wasn't getting from them, but I did it for them and me. Maybe psychologically, subconsciously, I needed to hear it, but I know they needed to hear it too. This
0: strengthened me to deal with adversity at a very young age, and so that's a bit of my story. Man, that's amazing. Uh, one thing that strikes me about you is just your. Level of positivity and optimism, and that's why I found your story so fascinating because you've come through a lot of adversity. And do do you think that's part of the reason why that you're so positive? Because you've had to fight through that and come out the other side, or or have you, or have you seen what not to do? And you're okay. I've are you reacting to it? Do you think in some way? It's probably a combination of both, John. To be honest with you,
1: There's there's a there's a parable that says a father, an alcoholic father had two sons and one son was an alcoholic and the other one was a multimillionaire. And someone asked the sons, tell us about your story. How did you become an alcoholic? He said, because my dad was an alcoholic. He asked the other son, how did you become a millionaire?
0: Cause my dad was an alcoholic. It's alcoholic, yeah, yeah, that's good, that's same, good.
1: Same thing. So your parents teach you what to be or what not to be. Because of your behavior, I'm gonna be just like you. Because of your behavior, I don't ever want to be like you. Yeah. My father taught me how to be a better dad. He didn't even realize he was doing it, (laughs) (laughs) right? That's so true. To communicate with my son, to connect with him, to relate to him, to just be there and be present. These are the things I never had. So I made sure I needed them. My positivity came from, again, facing my adversity. And constantly massaging or doing the mental reps that I do in my mind and for my clients, which is my affirmations, my, my belief system, who I want to be. These are things that I literally tell myself in yeah. my mind every single day. And then I live it. Saying it is one thing. Speaking it is another.
0: Mm-hmm. Living is a third. That's incredible. Because you, you've not allowed the words said over you, have you, to dictate who you are? You've let, have, have you had to... Forgive your parents in, in that sense to be able to do that? How's that worked?
1: You you have to, and I have. I remember when my mother passed away, I went to her funeral. I remember when my father passed away, I didn't get, I, I remember when my mother passed away, I hugged him. Yeah. And he kept his arms by his side, even when I got back. But I still gave him that, that childhood love. I didn't go to his funeral. My brothers and sisters did, but I didn't go there. But I did forgive him, and I think, When you don't forgive, you hold on to the pain. Yeah. Not the other way around. Yeah. So I wanted to let this pain go. I had to believe and practice what I asked the entire child, my entire childhood, which was, I forgive you. I love you. It's okay. I know. I had to do that. And then ultimately, when they passed, by the time they passed, I had already been there. I'd already been healed, so to speak. It wasn't like now that you're past, the healing begins. I was at a stage in age in life and I was in my, I was about 28 years old when they passed, which was just yesterday. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I think that's what it is. And that's what yeah. it has to be,
0: forgiveness. It, I, you're right, man. I, I feel like forgiveness is often so much more about us than it is the other person, isn't it? It, it releases us from all those feelings, the bitterness, the grudges, and, and can set you free in a quite profound way. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Obviously you've built, an incredible career based around fitness and, and, and health and so on. Where did that start? What inspired you to get fit, get in shape? And, and and where? what's the beginning of that? I've always been athletic. I ran track for a little
1: bit in high school. I studied martial arts for about 12 and a half years in the third degree black belt in Taekwondo. Um, this is good to know. Yeah. He, he may be smiling, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't upset For me, fitness found me, I always say, in the sense that I was just working at the YMCA in Atlanta, Georgia. And someone said to me at the Y, like, wow, you're great with people. You got a good physique. You should be a trainer. I got certified listening to their advice. And Listen, I, I've always wanted to be Sean Connery. I always wanted to be <laughs> 007. Every kid growing up my age and, and, and around that young, <laughs> was like, look, he's the man, right? Uh, 007. And so my mind was always an entrepreneur. I loved yeah. art, cars, women, fashion, all those things. I'm a Renaissance guy. So when I was working at the Y, my goal was an entrepreneur. Little did I know that would be my path, helping people in the fitness space. So I got certified and the entrepreneur kicked in. Okay, I got these elderly people here at the Y, I'm gonna design something for them. Moms, teenagers. And so I I started thinking broadly and I was the most sought after person there. And that kind of opened up my my need to help
0: as well as make a business. That's so interesting. It combines those things, doesn't it? Yeah. I think when you when your business is your passion, it was the old phrase about it never feels like you do a day's work, does it? When you combine your business and your passion together. One thousand percent. It's a light day. And, and tell us what the, the the business side has been like. Obviously, you've you got your fitness as a product as you as well. What's it been like to build a business out of it as well? What, what's that <laughs> been like for you? That's fun. It's a lot of
1: fun for me because one thing I always believed in my journey and, and health and wellness is, look, I came from a background where every trainer is an island. Don't train with her. Train with me. Don't train with I'm better. This is why. I never had that mentality. My business model was spread love to everyone, including other trainers. So when I opened yeah. up my first studio in Atlanta, I literally would have meetings Training other trainers, everything I knew about my training, and then I would have meetings training them about the business. And there, there were hundreds of them. So for me, I was I I couldn't close one valve. I'm not going to show anybody what I know. I'm not going to help other up and coming trainers, but I'm going to help all these people get in shape. That would mess me up. That would take me off tilt, so to speak. Instead, I'm like, I'm going to help you become better as well. And it's going to help grow my business. So I watch my business go from. 14 clients to 300 clients, from 300 clients to so on and so forth. It just grew and grew and grew and grew. And that led to The Biggest Loser on NBC, that led to commercials. <laughs> that led to
0: television and endorsement deals, et cetera, et cetera, just because of the mindset, I think. There's something interesting in what you said there because you, you, most people's instinct would be, look, I've got something unique here. I'm going to protect it. I'm not going to give away my secrets. I'm not going to collaborate with other trainers. But you took almost the polar opposite of being generous and giving it away in one sense, which, which on the surface of it looks a bit crazy, but has yeah. obviously paid back because it's made you within the obviously made you more famous as a result of that. Is that Some- something you think is a part of the secret? Sometimes
1: crazy wins, sometimes being a little nutty, a little different, a little obscure, (laughs) win. You can think of names like Tupac, Biggie, Tesla, just a little off, just a little off. And so to your point, if you put it like that, yeah, it's nuts for me to give away my trade secrets and what grew, but at the same time, I did it for the people and those Mm -hmm. were part of the people. I've always been a big picture thinker I hire detail-oriented people to help keep things in line. I see this entire force, and this is how we're going to grow it. What are you doing over there with that seed? I'm planting another tree. Thank God you're here. You know what I mean? It's it's always been that sort of a thing. Selfishly, I didn't want to get up anymore at 5 a.m. I paid my dues for 10-plus years doing that. So if I had 15 trainers that were willing to get up at 5 a.m., I popped into office at 8 because I had a manager in that studio and so on and so forth that ran it for me. Again, big picture thinking. Jeff Bezos doesn't want to pack in an Amazon box. He probably did that first, but now he doesn't have to.
0: I think one, 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 of, the, one of the biggest challenges is, is scaling yourself up, isn't it? Is to say, I can do this. But and in fact, this is something I'm still learning myself is how on earth to do this. Other people go, "I, oh, you know, you're great at that, but how do you scale yourself? And that's a really big challenge, I think, for a lot of people who individually are great, but how would you do it on a big scale? There's a ceiling in this
1: business, right? Meaning the ceiling is this. I am at my client's needs. If I have a 5 a.m. client, if I want that dollar, I'm going to have to wake up at 5 a.m. If I have a 7 p.m. client and I'm done till eight till nine, I have to work for that client in that time. How do you scale yourself? You duplicate yourself. Simple. It's really that simple. It's okay. Are you willing to hold on to everything and allow everything to be in control and control you? Because in yeah. sense, that's a part of it. Or are you willing to let something go, delegate and trust, right? The moment you get to that place of trust and delegation, the combination
0: of the woven two, mm-hmm. you're golden. And weirdly, we're back to your generosity again, aren't we? Because the more you can give away what you know and how you've done to other people, it brings them up to be able to scale you in that sense, doesn't it? Yeah.
1: What's the gentleman's name, William? the Multi-billionaire, older gentleman. He's good friends with my friend, Sarah Blakely. Gives away all of his money. Like, almost all of it. It's crazy to me. I'll think of his name. Warren Buffett. That's his name. Yeah, yeah. Warren Buffett. I can't believe it. Probably the most famous guys in the world. I'm saying it like his name is John. John Evans
0: down the street. No, Warren Buffett. We all know He's a man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a great yeah. example. He is a great example. And of course, you also wrote a, a New York Times bestseller uh, mm-hmm. as well, didn't you? Oh. On diet and fitness. So I, listen, I love the idea of this because I've tried a few diets myself, tried to get in shape. It's something I, you know, chat. and I love the concept of, of the cheat. So I, I have to confess, you've got me on the cheat here, but when you try, say when you try different, you try different diets, different routines, and very, for me anyway, very often they, they just seem intimidating because you've got to live like a monk and you've got to avoid and, and you can't do anything. But what appealed, what really appealed to me about yours is that you actually build the cheating into the system. And is that something conscious? Is that obviously you've worked with a lot of people on their diet and fitness?
1: That was this experience. I think it, it stems from my days. I I've, Listen, I've, I've been here now in L.A. almost 10 years. And it stems from my experience in Atlanta when I had my studios. And I literally would have clients doing so well during the week. And the minute of the weekend came, they wanted to drink and party and come in almost hungover still Monday for another workout. Yeah. And I was like, you guys aren't listening to me. You're not listening. How can I get these guys to listen? What's the compromise? I know I will teach them to lean towards clean and then earn their cheats. I can't take out the cheats because yeah. you're gonna, yeah. do anyway. yeah. gonna do them anyway. I'm gonna do. We're all gonna do them, right? It's it's about balance. It's about okay earning it as opposed to just doing it habitually, crashing, and then you're saying when January first gets here, woo-hoo, I'm gonna get crazy. It's summertime. Let me get in shape. Don't wait to the last minute. Habitually, internally, put yourself. Honest. And by the way, this is science. I did the research, yeah. hired the proper doctors and uh, medical people, as well as scientists to say, how can I internally manipulate my body in order to sustain a certain look and, or feel my best. And this is the way.
0: It it, may, it just makes so much sense. I, I know my own experience. If I come off the routine, I, I mentally give up. I go, oh, I'm eating badly now. I might as well continue to eat badly. Or, oh, right. I've missed a week of training. What's the point? And it's so much of this is, it really is in the mind, isn't it? And I think that's what I love about what you do is that you address the mind first, which is where it all begins. You can't just tell someone what to do. You've got to get inside their head first.
1: People aren't going to listen what to do. I think it is as much of an art form to tap into personalities as it is to change physique. I believe that from a business I knew a long time ago, if I could be a better listener than a talker, I will always be successful or the people I work with will be successful. And I think that just, that's from just life experiences and being present. So I gotta help you here. There's more weight in your mind than there is in your body. All the habits live here, all the doubt and fear live here. If we can overcome your perception of yourself, your ability is limitless. It's like, we want success wanting And acquiring are two different things. A lot of people want to be billionaires; they don't necessarily have the discipline to get there. A lot of people want to be in shape; they may not have the discipline or overcome the fear to get there. To coach someone to remove their fear, it's not easy, but it's possible. Yeah, it's not. It's it doesn't. There's no longevity in that phrase, but it's a daily habit. So how you treat your day determines on how, what the outcome of
0: your year. That's so interesting. Can you, when you meet people, you talked about listening, which I think was so fascinating that you, you listen first and then coach second. Can you say, so if you take the, the biggest loser, for example, can you predict the people that are gonna succeed and the people that won't based on initially meeting them and understanding them? Is, is a, it something you can, you can see the patterns playing out the attitudes, the mindset?
1: People telling themselves. So. They're telling themselves when they look down in a way and they're not paying attention. They're telling themselves when they complain about what that person is doing and what that person is doing. You're telling that you're easily distracted. You tell on yourself by your habits. Did you go for it? Did you work out today? Nah, but I'm gonna wait till seven and I'm gonna do something light, right? I know who you are before you know who you are. (laughs) Or you admit who you are, right? The person that shows up and says, I'm here for any lesson, I'm ready. And they became ready before the cameras came on. They became ready before they got there. They're the ones that might be quiet, but then speak up when it's time to move. There's so many little puzzle pieces
0: mm. that I put together to say, "She's the one." So I can really recognize that. I've, yeah. I've recently got a coach actually for my for my cycling, uh, and again, it, it's quite interesting. I realized I was making a lot of excuses, mm. whether it's injury or too busy, and and so on. It, it's I, I, and they pick you apart. So there's Scuses nowhere to hide. Devil, John, yeah.
1: excuses are the devil. The excuses—they
0: they really are, because yeah. they, they train
1: us in, to be to live in a place of can't. Yeah. They train us to live in a place. I can't do that. No, there's no way. And if we constantly, we say what we become. And if we think about, damn, I I complain a lot. I make a lot of excuses. If we start looking at it and hearing ourselves, because oftentimes when we speak, we don't hear what we're saying. we're more looking for a reaction, wait, I'm saying words to this person, but I'm looking for them. So I'm really not really paying attention to what I'm saying. But if we stop and pay attention, I can't do this. I can't. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's who you are. Yeah. That spills over to work and to family.
0: It does. It does. No, you're so And you start believing your own excuses, don't you? And you, you start 100%. excusing yourself, don't you? It's almost like you're giving yourself a pass when you shouldn't.
1: 100%.
0: So, so what t- talk to me about your, if you can, your daily routine. And how do you yourself stay fit when you're trying to run a business and you've got multiple demands on you? How do you work it out for yourself?
1: I sneak in workouts with clients. We're just obviously coming off a crazy year from a pandemic. Everything I've done up to this point of my life has been, well, since opening up my studios and doing the book and doing the television show has been about capitalism and, and making money and earning and investing and doing all these other things, right? During the pandemic, I was like, well, a lot of people have nothing to do. Let me just go ahead and lend my time on my social platform. So I started working people out. And then yeah. I'm, work- I'm working out myself while I'm working them out. So the COVID calories weren't coming on, <laughs> which was great. So I still do that to this day. I took a group of those people who were for 96 days on Instagram and I put them on a Zoom. Ironically enough, it's about 15 of them. Yeah. And they paid me uh, monthly to get them in shape. First the movement, then the message. So I just work them out for 30 minutes and I speak to them for 30 minutes. And these guys have become, I give them the platform to talk. So it's almost like an open forum, so to speak. Yeah. I, that keeps me mentally in shape as well as physically in shape. And ironically enough, this past weekend, all 15 of them came here to Los Angeles and they met for the first time after 15 months.
0: Oh, wow. That must be a moment. Oh, was, it was oh. amazing, John. It was amazing. Oh, that's special, isn't it? How has the last year changed your business? Given that obviously we've not been able to go to the gym, we've, we've been isolated at home. People's routines are different.
1: I think it's made it better. I watched, again, lending my time to something that I love. Obviously, you get more when you give more. I almost forgot that because before that, I didn't have clients. I hadn't had clients for maybe three or four years, truth be told, because, again, I was working with my partnerships and my investments and writing books and doing all this stuff. I was doing all the other stuff that comes with the platform, if you will. All the stuff I always wanted to do and still doing. But this past year, it became more concentrated on the individuals and the people who needed my help, the groups of folks. So I'm working out more. I'm working out clients more. I'm looking into potentially opening up a franchise of gyms. I'm in the world, so to speak. And I think stopping helps you see. Yes, Running past something you miss stuff so that's yeah. what this is
0: for me yeah that's quite profound actually right so one of the gifts of the pandemic has been that you know we've been forced to stop forced to think and, and forced to change a lot of our assumptions about how we do business and a tiny little one I, I know I started this podcast literally just before literally just before COVID started and my oh, instant my instant thought was oh no because I, I assume people were listening to the podcast on the commute to work so my assumption in my head my little my little excuse in my head was like oh they still listen when they're at home and actually it's the listeners now four times what they were before covid but again those little negative thoughts get in your head don't they and convince you put you down from doing the right thing yeah exactly yeah listen when they work out listen when they go for their one-hour walk they're allowed a day listen when they take a break from work it's been great in in that sense not that i ever wish a global pandemic on anybody but
1: we all listen to you, John. We all listen.
0: Yeah. <laughs> good <man. laughs> we're here That's good to hear. Actually, we, we, we should touch on another, I think, profound insight that I, I know you've talked about is keeping at it as well. And mm. I, I was just telling you before we were chatting live that apparently only 90% of all podcasts never make it past episode three and 99 of all podcasts don't make it past episode 22. And this is episode 23. We've joined the 1% club, my friend. <laughs> so there we go. God, fantastic. <laughs> That's it my little, uh, yeah. Oh, no, it's great.
1: It says you're onto something. and
0: It is. It's great. We've we got to go for the 0.1% now. That's the next target. That's the take him down.
1: <laughs> Set those bars. Set those bars. Yeah, high. yeah. You know,
0: But tell me about your goals. What, what are you setting now as your next goals, given everything you've already achieved? I'm making my way back on television.
1: I'm finishing up a another. I'm doing... Keynotes and speeches where I'm wanted and where my voice is is needed. I have a retreat company with my business partner who's based out of London by way of South Africa. We actually were going to open that up at the start of the pandemic. We, <laughs> we, we, we were geared up with many countries. It's called Tabula Rasa Retreats.com. That's going to be a, hopefully a focus of mine the next, I would say, nine to twelve months as the world opens up and everyone's yeah. Coping comfortable so i'm holding on to that and i think that's going to be a, a, a great future project because it allows me to travel the world and also help people around the world so
0: not busy at all not busy no at all. <laughs> <laughs> i like i like the fact you've added traveling around the world as part of your business idea this is great building like build your personal your personal ambitions into your business sounds healthy. brilliant does not it healthy great, so, man. I love you know, that. you're from england originally Originally, yes, yes. I've travelled a bit, actually. Uh, my my pair, I, we, yeah. Weirdly, I grew up. My early years were in Papua New Guinea, Swaziland, a bit of time in the Philippines, and then came back to the UK. Yeah, so I, I had a very exotic first few years. <laughs> <laughs> I've only been to England once. I've never been to London. Oh, we go, man. We got to do. it. I'll come to LA, and you can come to London. We'll yeah. we got to introduce you to the great British public. <laughs> it's time. <laughs> I've been to, I've been to Newcastle. Have you? Oh, uh, one go on of my, then. Tell me what took you there. One of
1: my former clients, Tom, he was a, a restaurateur. He had about twelve restaurants in in Atlanta. Yes, me might know this guy. Twist, shout, all those other things that he owned. And he was one day. He was in the gym, and he went to his car, and then he walked back into the gym and said, "Hey, do you have a passport?" I said, "Yeah, I have a passport." oh "Okay," and he left. <laughs> Such a weird guy. <laughs> he calls me and says you're coming to england with me david and my two kids pack your suitcase we're leaving in two days i said done we're on the plane there david and i really excited he leans back and says to us you're never going to see more beautiful women anywhere in the world than you're going to see in newcastle me and david were like this we were <laughs> celebrating life i've never seen more gray people <laughs> i was like no
0: (laughs) there's not a lot of sunshine that goes on there so it's uh, they they don't need much encouragement in newcastle that's for sure
1: God, i hope this doesn't reach reach anybody from newcastle i just realized
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes i think my most popular listener base is up there so listen but we'll we'll listen we'll we'll get you back over we'll we'll reintroduce you to the rest of the country as well (laughs) oh man that'd be brilliant Um, one of the things I wanted to ask about is, is I notice that you, you, you're very humble, but also you describe yourself as very humble, but very hungry, which I thought was a fascinating thing. Very often our perception of people when they become successful is they've got to be aggressive. They've got to be arrogant sort of thing. But, and that really struck me actually about you is this constant humility coupled with, with kind of hunger. So tell me a bit about that. What's, what, why is that important, do you think? I think
1: it has a lot to do with the way I was raised. I think it has a lot to do with, I believe I'm doing God's work when I help people out of a dark place, Mm. I can't live in that space and also have an arrogance that I'm better than everyone. It's an oxymoron. It's stupid. It's not cohesive for me to operate at the level of which I've been given my God given talents. I have to also realize that nothing, I can't take anything for granted. I have to also realize that everything is a gift. This life, this house, everything is a gift. But if I own it and I say, look what I did, it Mm. diminishes my ability to bring someone out of their hole. It, It loses its authenticity. So we're all people no matter what our station in life and I think the pandemic showed us all that. I wish I could remember the phrase that I learned over the weekend and say, it's not Yiddish, it, it's just a Jewish phrase that says we're all, we all at the same level. Our eyes are all at the same level. And I think that phrase and that experience is the human condition. So I, I wanna live and stay there no matter my rise or fall or whatever in order for me to do the work at the highest level possible.
0: Yeah, yeah, that no, makes sense. That's good. It's just, I think it's quite profound, Because so many of the people you hear from that have been successful uh, just come across as so arrogant and you hear stories of what their businesses are like and how toxic the environment is. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's so refreshing, I think, to, to see someone walking with that humility, but it doesn't mean you haven't got the hunger and desire to, to change things. And yeah, I really admire that.
1: I struggle with it, John, to be honest with you, because I understand both sides, but I don't know anyone super successful that everyone has something good to say about her. Yeah. I think of people like Jeff Bezos, I think of people like Oprah, people like Michael Jordan, Tyler Perry, people that I've known and met and that get critiqued. Oh, she's a this and he's a that. Yeah, And, a... yeah. and I think it's, a, you can't be at the top without rubbing people the wrong way. Yeah, You can't, it's impossible actually. Because any type of success breeds envy. So I sympathize. I understand the other side as well as the side I'm on, which is I'm hungry. I'm gonna I, yeah. I love Growth. I love to travel. I love the finer things in life. I love all of that. But I'm also know. I
0: also know that I'm not just that. Yeah. Makes sense. So I think. It so does make sense? Yeah. Or just your identity is not tied up in being that either, is it? No, so um, You're more, you're free of that in in, in that sense. Yeah, and a, fr- a friend of mine, and I were thinking of writing a book about how to succeed without being an arsehole. Because you, you look Great. at, there are so many examples of super successful people, but they leave a trail of destruction and, and, and a toxicity in the culture and uh, they work people way too hard or they trample over people. And, and it's just so refreshing to good. meet people that succeed, but realize the value of human relationships and, and your reputation, integrity, it's, it, it's so really powerful. Yeah. People like that, I say,
1: have a spiritual ulcer. They don't think yeah. they are, this is what I got to do. But you don't love yourself. When you lay down at night, you don't really sleep. You don't sleep like I sleep. You know what I mean? There's, there's different levels of, of rest and you don't rest. You have yet to rest. You have all yeah. the money in the world, but you're not rested.
0: And I noticed you, you do you use that phrase in your talk, certainly about, about self-love as well. Tell me about that. W- what's so powerful about that idea of loving yourself first that
1: can transform a great question. I think a lot of people do in order not to do for themselves. One of the I think this statistic a couple of years back was nursing was the highest percentage of obese women in any career. Nursing.: Nursing: no, I mean, Nursing was number Why? Why? Because they were caretakers. They worked crazy hours what have you right When you learn to put yourself first, the things you love get the best version of you. Listen to how simple that sounds. Yeah I love going into work because my attitude directed me there. I love kissing my wife because my attitude directed me there. raising these kids, having these but everything about me first means that the things that I love, the people I love are gonna get the best version of me, not the watered down version, not the stressed version, not the fearful version. You see that bride walking towards you down that aisle? God, I hope she's gotten rid of her fears and her doubts. And her. Mm-hmm. maybe she hasn't. Maybe we can do this together, that you found someone that is at a higher vibration. These are the important things that people don't work on when it comes to self-love. There's a pattern that goes on. Your parents may instill some fears in you at a young age. You don't know who you are. You don't know what you're doing. You need to do better. You need to go to college. Then you go to college for them first and then yourself. So there's no self-love in that. You choose a career that you think might please them and then you're doing it, but you really don't love. It's not really who you are. There's no self-love there. You marry the right guy because of status, wealth, whatever it might be. Maybe you even don't get married because you're still trying to, replace the parent that hurt you the most and fix Mm -hmm. them problems. And then finally you're on a porch somewhere at 70 years old. What the fuck happened to my life? Yeah. No one's ever said to you, love yourself through your movement, through your attitude, through your energy, through your association, right? Why?
0: Uh, Yeah. And And a question that raises in my mind immediately is who are you doing this for? Because if, if you're not doing it for yourself, you're doing it for someone else. Why are you doing it for them? And what is it you're doing for them? Validation. For yourself. Yeah. Validation. Very, very often it is, isn't it? Very often. Yeah. Right?
1: People think if I present this face at work, they're going to know me, and I'm going to get this raise. I had to get the attention of everything is yeah. for someone else. It's never really we've never been taught. We've been taught to do things for someone else. Be it your professor, your teacher, your parents, your lover your choice whatever it might be you're always doing something for someone else and and it's selfless to be selfish sometimes
0: yes yes and that's the thing because it it, because even the the phrase self-love sounds selfish but it's not if you you almost have to get over that that concept of oh am i allowed to am i allowed to put myself first
1: we we are drawn to, to the most selfish people in the world we as a society are drawn to the most selfish people in the world. And what does mm-hmm. that mean? That means this person worked so hard, strived to pursue their dreams, shut out all the noise, and now we admire them. They're not the herd, they're the shepherd. Shepherds walk alone. They, the herd follows them, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. guys like Jeff Bezos, the Oprahs of the world, the Kanye West of the world. Yeah. This, yeah. My mind is here, I'm just doing this. You guys are going to come in. Yeah. They, I'm doing this for the people is what they say. This platform that it's a it's a hard place to be in as a king and queen on that throne because then you're judged. However, you do such selfish acts to make you better, other people want to be where you are. And if we can mm. just tap into that level, that is the highest level of success, self-love. Not mm. money not things, not travel, to love yourself, whether you're in your living room or Bali. <laughs> wherever, you are, wherever
0: you are, if you love yourself, there's no one wealthier. Yeah, makes a ton of sense that. If you could, okay, if you could go back in time and you met the 21-year-old self at your 21st birthday, what's your advice to yourself?
1: Get it together, kid. I, I would say to him if you're on the right path don't doubt yourself don't doubt yourself keep going i i i know you're scared right i know there's yeah. a lot of fear fear behind you i know you've been taught not to love but keep yeah. you're you're doing good kid you're doing good keep yeah. going it's yeah. happening
0: yeah i i i i think that's- confidence is so much of it isn't it i, I remember i mean i know for me I, when i did the whole university thing got a job I, I was always going i must prove i can do this i must tick the box i must go to the next thing and man i wish i just had the confidence to well a bit like the self-life you talks about jump in to do what i wanted to do and not think i had to wait for some permission or wait for approval or wait to get a certain amount of experience just go and do it in one of
1: my talks i talk about www when the dot-com world came around, but every W represents a word. There's people who wait, there's people who wish, and there's people who will. Mm. The people that wait to see what other people are doing, and then they make the move. The people that wish, they really hope something happens, like they wish this would happen. So they're both taught to pause, if you will. But the people that will, yeah, the provokers of progress is what I call them, John. Yeah. They initiate and manifest whatever direction they want to go in. Now, granted, I say this sounds like a very monastery monk. Oh, high tired thinking. You have to realize that this is something that you practice daily. So if I'm so if I'm very good at numbers, very good at saving and things of that nature, but I'm not really good at taking care of myself, then that's where you need to will right? That's where you, that's still in the wish area. You need to will that because you have the attributes, the strength, the discipline over here. Just put that discipline. What makes you good at numbers and saving? I write it down in my planner and I book time. We'll do
0: the same thing over here in this area. Do take your strengths and put them into your weaknesses. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's a bit like working out, isn't it? You have to repeat it to build the strength up on the weaker muscle, don't you? Until eventually it becomes a strength. Changing lives, one rep at a time. That's a nice, that's a nice quote, that one. Like I'm it. Full of, I'm full of those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it, man. So what's your next book? What's your next book going to be?
1: I, I've been thinking about that. Working on this book now for about two and a half, some years, right? It's just putting it together. I, I wanted to do a book about what, we, what we've been talking about, which is success. Yeah. And I think oftentimes when people think of success, I wanted to really go in the success column, so to speak, area of a bookstore, because I didn't I wanted to incorporate physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, even social health, like association and elevation. How high you go is who you associate with. So the next book, I didn't want to be about rice cakes or a way of eating (laughs) or, or doing this many squats will get you. Over the course of my career, I've learned that again, if I help someone with their perception, there lies the power. Okay, so I'm I'm, I'm writing my second book is entitled Work Out the Doubt. How do I work out the doubt? How do I become successful? How do I stay successful? Even when I hit the bottom, how do I climb myself out? Because we will hit the bottom. Everybody does. I don't care where you are, I don't know, I don't care who you admire, They've had a bottom two or three times in their life. That's a fact. So I interview successful people in the book. I interview them and say simply, when people see you, they admire you, but tell me about the time that you didn't admire you. How did you get yeah. back? How did you get back? That's what I want to know. I want to know how you worked out the doubt. And there's a series of interviews with people, but it's also antidotes in there showing them how to actually execute that title.
0: Mm. That's brilliant. I love that. One of the things I absolutely love reading biographies of, of, of successful people. And I'm always amazed at how much they talk about the times where they failed. Because we only hear about the successes, don't you? And then, and then you read the book and you go, wow, they spent nine years with like virtually no money. And they're on their 15th attempt. <laughs> you know, of course, no one ever hears about that, do they? But you just go, man, you've you earned it, right? That's what
1: we're talking about. That's that word persistence we were talking
0: about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, isn't it? Right? Isn't it? But, but I think you, you've hit on something else there though, about the, I think learning from failures and getting up and going again, but you've, you've got you've to tell yourself to get up, haven't you? can't just, you're not automatically gonna get up. You've got to tell yourself to get up and go again. And, and I think that get up and go again mentality is the thing. And I, I love that. I love the work out the doubt.
1: You have to tell yourself to get up and go because your voice, you've been trained to tell yourself not to. Yeah. Everything that surrounds you tells you that you're not good enough. Yeah. The music you listen to, the television you watch, the people at work, the people at home sometimes tell you that they're in a better place than you ever could be. So you're surrounded by these vibrations and voices and energy that in a world that we live in, we're coming off of Black Lives Matter, the Palestinian-Israeli fight. Mm. We're coming global hate, mm. and it has become so common in this world, we're saying we, it creates insecurities. Self-love teaches the security has to come from me. What's that thing Matheson said? Who are we to feel inadequate? Don't feel inadequate. In other words, change it. Actually, praise the fact that you wake up and you have that energy. I talk about the 5G method that I came up with, which is 5Gs of ways of creating a fist and making an impact. I wake up with gratitude, I ask God for guidance, I go, I move this body, I make it happen. Yeah. I graze, I make good choices throughout my day, small grazing, and then lastly, I give. If I do those
0: five G's every day, I'm at the height and elevation of my highest self. I like the give you put in there, that's interesting. You're back to your generosity again, isn't it? There's something yeah. quite powerful in giving it away, isn't it, in terms of that, that way that often pays back.
1: We learn once, we teach twice. Yeah. We t- actually, it's the other way around. We learn twice and teach once. And t- yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like you when you say it, it becomes something. It becomes yours. And it, that, that's the coaching method that I always did via Biggest Loser or anyone else. I don't want anyone to need me forever. I wanna give that person the tools so that they can be successful and then pass it on. The yeah. most successful people I've ever helped lose weight and keep the weight off Help someone else do it. The huh. people, right? The people that kept oh, it yeah. on, they literally kept it on or put more back on because they became self-absorbed in their doubts and fears. But those who got up for someone else,
0: well, you can't. You can't be a fat teacher, right? If you're the teacher, you can't be fat, right? You Can't be, fat,
1: right? you can't be a fat teacher. You, <laughs> by the way, something about giving away encouragement fuels your soul and keeps you encouraged it, do, it does yeah you start to hear what you're saying therefore you start to believe it it's not just coming from dalvet's voice it's now coming from john's it's now coming yeah. from you know, me. so it's this is mine and i'm telling you
0: you got this so you're talking to yourself it's reciprocity as it well is. as to them. it is and actually when you start telling other people as well and you see the reaction in them, it's quite surprising. I, I do lots of different things, but it, one of them is teaching people how to do uh, successful business pitching, for example. Sure. And I'm always, something that I've spent 20 years doing comes second nature to me, but I'm always quite shocked when I'm in the room and I, and I just, I, I start with the most simple thing and everyone's going, I'd never thought of that. And I'm saying, "They going, you never thought of it? But this is in my head I'm like, yeah, of course you're do that. I'm like, what am I talking about? Like, well, if you don't know that, wait till I tell you the other 10 things you could be doing, you know, something. Sort of and right. it's just the energy I think that gives yeah. you as well. And we, when you own something and which is good. The other thing I was going to say to you actually as well, you talk about is Israel-Palestine. One of the most profound meetings I've ever had was in, in Tel Aviv. I met um, the biggest venture capital venture capitalist in the whole of Israel, a guy wow. called Shlomo. And yeah. it's the most mesmerized I think I've ever been listening to someone talk about their life. He must be in his 60s now. He's invested in so many companies, so many startups. And he, he was saying the one difference between the business, the Israeli culture you talk about and how because of the threats they faced over, the, over their short existence, they've had to innovate. They've had to take risks and they've had to fail time and time again. You see, the difference is if he said, if I go to a dinner party in the West and it's shameful to talk about your business failures and the things that haven't gone well. But he said, not in Israel. We celebrate them because if you fail, you've really tried something special and you've learned from it. And we will invest in those people because he said, if you walk in the room and say, I've never, my business has never failed. I'm not investing. I won't touch it. And I was like, man, that is profound. But you're right because I don't know what it's like in the US, but certainly UK, you're trained just to go in and go, here are all the things I'm great about. I've, I've succeeded everywhere. But that's not real life and that's not authentic. But he turned that on his head and said, The man that comes in and talks of his failures is the man I invest in. You think that my was. I've, like I've, been that. V- I've been to Tel Aviv, I've been to Tel Aviv. last year, obviously,
1: but the year before I was there. And I love Tel Aviv and Jordan. That, that trip was amazing. And then we did Greece afterwards. But my good friend, Sarah Blakely, who started Spanx, her grandparents gave her $5,000. And wow. she's one of the very few women that are billionaires in our country. She did an article that I still have somewhere to this day. And we've talked, we've spoken about this in length, her and I, and the articles described a conversation her father would have with her and her brother, when they came home from school, they would come home all young kids jumping on dad over the day and he'd get their attention. Okay. Tell me about your day. No, no, no. Tell me what you failed at. Yeah. Tell me where you failed. Because if you failed at something, then you have the ability to work harder at it and become better. I want to know what you're not good at so you can become good. Yeah. And I thought that was a great way of putting it. So when you said that, it made me think of that.
0: That's good. I love that. Listen, man, that is an awesome place to end. But let's just, I want to finally ask you this. How can people get hold of you? Where are you on social media? If people want to get uh, in touch, what should they do? I'm so lucky to have a unique
1: name. so everything. Yeah, I'm going to say. <laughs> is at- vet so just look for me on facebook instagram sporadically on twitter here and there my website is dollvet.com
0: just yeah look me up of of course the other question we've got to ask is how are we going to get you as the next bond because uh, listen man i I I'm ready. You've got, the, you've got the moves and you've yeah. got the smile, man.
1: <laughs> I'm ready. Knowing me, I'd probably be a villain or something like that. I think Idris, Idris Elba's up for that one.
0: You, you'll be the smiling assassin, though, because no one right. will spot you. <laughs> then, hang on a minute. There's, there's no way this guy is Mr. Dr. Evil. The smiling <laughs> just, assassin. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. There you go, man. Oh, listen, thank you so much for your time. It's been, a, it's been brilliant and uh, so profound. And I just want to thank you for being generous with your time and share sharing your journey. Thank you, brother. Thank you.